Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. This is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, Zach Terrell. Zach Terrell was the 2017 quarterback for Western Michigan University and led his football team to an undefeated season and a trip to the Cotton Bowl. He is one of an elite group of football players to receive the distinguished William V. Campbell Trophy. This award, also known as the Academic Heisman Award, is given each year to the college football player who best excelled in academics, community service, and on-the-field performance. After college, Zach signed as an undrafted free agent with the Baltimore Ravens. Following his playing career, he joined the Ziegler Auto Group in an executive development role. After five years with the company, he serves as one of the youngest general managers in their dealership's history and is responsible for three locations, four franchises, 160 employees, and $130 million in sales. Most importantly, Zach's passion is to develop leaders and encourage people that the impossible is possible with faith, hard work, and perseverance through the tough times. Zach, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. Are you ready for this? Alan, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Well, I am pumped to have you here. I appreciate you taking time to hop on here with you. And I think it's really cool that you will be the first interview that I've had with somebody who I've also interviewed their father, which was your father, Mark, back on episode 31. So I think this is pretty cool to get to hear a second generation story as well. Yeah, I'm glad that he thinks high enough of me to uh, let me follow him up. So hopefully I can outdo the old man. (laughs) I love it. I love it. His episode was incredible. So if anyone has not heard episode 31, you'll definitely want to hear that one as well. Well, Zach, I've shared just kind of a high level picture of who you are and what you're doing today and the success you've had in your football career as a quarterback. But can you just kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be where we are here today? Yeah, Cliff Notes version is under-recruited, under-scouted out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was a two-sport athlete. Most people thought I was going to go play basketball, and I had more scholarships for basketball than football, believe it or not. So an Indiana boy going into my junior year of high school had a disagreement with my basketball coach. He went against his word, and I said, hey, I'm not going to play for you, and I stuck to my values. And I didn't play my junior year, and I lost all my basketball scholarships. So I wow. uh, ended up under-recruited in football, but getting uh, blessed to get an offer from Western Michigan University, went to Western. I wish I could tell you that it was smooth sailing the whole time I was there, but freshman year redshirted. I remember crying, walking to the stadium every single day because I just couldn't stand it and didn't think it was the right place for me. I wanted to transfer to, to a Christian school that all my family went to. When I say all my family, all my family. Even my high school coaches went to this university, wanted to go be a you know a big fish in a small pond, so to speak. But God had different plans for me. I ended up staying at Western. They fired the coach that recruited me in, which can be a difficult transition. Anybody that's gone through a coaching change or a leadership change, sometimes those can be difficult. I'd say most of the time they are. Uh, so I got re-recruited by PJ Fleck. A lot of people might recognize him. He's the head football coach at Minnesota. 
And that first season with him, we were the worst team in college football. And I was the worst quarterback in college football going one and 11. We really should have been 0 and 12, fortunately played at Gillette Stadium and they have a big area where there's no seats. So there's a huge wind tunnel. And fortunately their quarterback threw a pass that sailed because of that wind tunnel. And it saved us from being 0 and 12. Wow. Sorry to interrupt you, but that was your freshman year. Yeah, that was my retro freshman year. So that was my first year as the starter. We went one and 11 and that was an interesting experience that taught me a lot. Learn how to fail, frankly. And then going through the college career, ended up finishing, like you said, with 13 and 0 and going to the Cotton Bowl and getting rewarded with the academic Heisman, first person in the Mid-American Conference to do that. And something I'm really proud of and was just kind of a maturation of teammates and people that invested in me and really overcoming hard stuff, which is what the topic's about. Life's hard and uh, succeed anyway. And then um, when I was undrafted free agent, which frankly, my dreams hadn't even gotten that far. I never really thought of myself as a professional football player. So I thought I was going to play basketball in college. And, you know, then going through football, when you go one and 11, that can hurt your confidence a little bit about whether the next level is for you. But got that opportunity briefly and then really started the job search. And I can tell you with the prestige of the award I won and the season we were coming off and unfortunately with the reputation that I had developed, the last place people expected me to end up at was a car dealership. That was the last place. And uh, Ziegler Automotive is where I ended up. And I've been here ever since and absolutely love it. And um, I'm kind of excited to talk about that whole journey. But in the Cliff Notes version, that's how I ended up where I'm at today. I love it. So just for our listeners, two-part question. Your age and how many years you've been with Ziegler Auto Group now? Yeah, so I'm 30. And I joined the organization at the end of 2017. Okay. I've been with them for about five and a half years, coming up on six. I started an executive development role with the president where, you know, I ended up right on the showroom floor in sales, just like everybody else. And I've kind of worked my way through the company to the position I'm at today, running three of our stores and 160 employees and 130 million in sales. That is phenomenal. I can't wait to jump into that a little bit more. I want to just jump back a little bit further back to the football days and make sure I got that right. So you redshirted your freshman year, your redshirt freshman year, which is your second year of college. You were the starting quarterback at Western Michigan D1 football, correct? Yes, sir. And that was the first year PJ Fleck was the head coach. Absolutely. Yep. First year of row the boat. Okay. And that was the year you went one and 11. And then you, at some point, I don't know if that was your senior year, what did you say your record was? And you went on to play? We were 13-0, so we won the Mid-American Conference, and then we got to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. There's only a handful of schools that have been able to do that, and we're only the second ever in the Mid-American Conference to get to go. So we played wow. Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl at AT&T Stadium, so Jerry's World. Wow. And that was your senior year, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Wow. And that was the same year you won the Academic Heisman Award? Yep. And then were picked up by the Ravens. That's phenomenal. What a story. And now I understand Coach Fleck, he's with Minnesota now, you said, right? Yep. Yep. So he moved on to Minnesota and he's killing it there too. Yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about that. But okay, so then that brings us to the Ravens. You spent how much time with the Ravens? You know what NFL stands for, right? Most people assume it stands for the National Football League, but for me, it stands for not for long. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, and not many 
ever get the opportunity to wear one of those jerseys. And the fact that you had college success and even played in the NFL is just phenomenal. And then, like you said, you went to work for Ziegler Auto Group. And what did friends and family and people think when you made that decision after having such a great career in football? I remember calling my dad, who, like you said, you interviewed, and he couldn't believe it, to be honest with you. And then I started to lay out like, hey, dad, this is a company that has a plan for me. And that was one thing I was really surprised about. And anybody who's like a business leader or an executive at a company, this is something that's really important. I think if you want to recruit top talent, especially the younger generation, you start looking at generations and what we look for, we look for a plan. So I sat down with our president and he laid it out and he said, hey, here's the step-by-step process we're going to go through. And he said, by the time you're done with it, you're going to be running a $100 million company. Now, Ziegler, we're up to 2.3 billion, right? So who knows? Right now I'm running, you know, the three stores, but I want to continue to grow and to push myself. And this is a company that, you know, showed me that path. Whereas, you know, I interviewed all over the country at uh, Fortune 500 companies, companies people would know very well. And nobody laid out a plan like Ziegler did. And frankly, that's why I chose it. It wasn't the money. It obviously wasn't because of the prestige of the industry, because it has its own negative connotations that people kind of take with it. It was the plan that they laid out for my future and how I could be successful here and how I could make a difference. Wow. What a great golden nugget that you just shared. For any of us that are in an industry or a profession where we're hiring, recruiting, whatever, the importance of helping someone see a vision for their future and laying out a plan. I love that. Did I hear you right, though, that you said they're doing, what, over a couple billion in sales annually? Yeah, we did 2.3 billion last year. Okay, 2.3 billion Ziegler Auto Group. And did you say five years ago, six years ago, when you were interviewing with them that they were laying out a plan for 100 million? Have they had that kind of growth in five years? I'm trying to connect the dots there. Yeah. So for me personally, I think he was just saying, hey, you could get to a point where you're running $100 million worth okay. of sales for the company. Mm. He did not think that I would do it in five years. The bet was I said I was going to do it by the time I was 28. He said, well, maybe 30. And I did it by the time I was 29. And it's an ongoing joke between the two of us. He said, you've had more promotions than anybody I've ever had within the company. But that's just my mindset, right? Is I just want more. We call it here in Kalamazoo, we call it a necton mentality. And it's something I learned from Coach Fleck. A necton is a is like a great white shark. It's a free-flowing organism, you know, that's always attacking and never full, right? So that always attacking and never full piece is kind of how I live my life. And it's a little bit of a sickness, but it also is kind of like what makes me different from everybody else is it's like I constantly am looking, hey, what's next or what more can we do or how can we get better? I love that. I love that. So you've had a ton of success on the field, off the field now over the last five years. What would you say has been one of the practical keys to your success, Zach? I think it's that mentality that I'm talking about is because I think you can tell yourself whatever you want and you'll listen to yourself. We are always apt to listen to what we tell ourselves first, right? So if you say, hey, this is hard or this is unfair, you'll listen to that, right? Right. Because we make excuses for ourselves. And I have trained myself basically to mentally not listen to those negative thoughts. And I do it with my words and I have to back it up. So when people ask me how I'm doing, I'll say elite. 
or when people call into our dealership, we'll say it's an elite day here at Ziggler. And when you say something like that, you got to back it up with your actions and people will call you out if you're not. So that mentality of every day of being elite is one thing that I strive for and I hold myself to that standard. And there's only been a handful of people here or that know me that have ever heard me say something different in the last 12 years. You can ask my family, they'll say the same thing. And people will laugh and they'll joke and they think it's funny and corny, but it holds you to a standard and it's a different mentality and it makes me different from everybody else. And I try to get as many people on board with that way of thinking and that mentality of going through life. I love it. Wow. So what you're saying is words matter. Oh, hundred percent. I think they're the biggest thing. People think I'm crazy, but I do it at work all the time. When someone says like, Hey, I'm trying to do this. Well, I tell them, Hey, trying is accepting failure. And they think I'm nuts. I said, here, let me call my wife. You know, if I called my wife right now and I said, hey, Maggie, Maggie's my wife that I met in college. And I say, hey, what's trying? She immediately would tell you, hey, it's accepting failure. And if I say, hey, what's hope? She's like, that's not a strategy. If I asked what the definition of success was, she could tell it or necton mentality. Like these are things that I don't just do it for gimmicks. This is my life. It's been my life for the last 12 years. Um, a lot of things that I've taken from Coach Fleck and other mentors that, you know, I live by. They're kind of my code of conduct. I love it. I love it. So has life been easy? I mean, has it been challenge free? Well, we were talking a little bit about it <laughs> earlier is for a while there it was. My life was pretty smooth sailing. And it's probably not the answer that most people are used to hearing. And I know I listened to a couple of the podcasts and everybody had some tragic things that have happened that have changed their life. And for my life, I was looking at the E60 on Sports Center and looking at these tragic events that happened to people that made them into what they were. And I used to worry that hey, I haven't been through a traumatic event. I haven't been through a real hardship going through my life all the way up until after high school. And I felt like it was my life was pretty easy. And I worried about whether or not I was going to find success later in life because I hadn't been through hard things. At what phase of life was that for context? Is that like high school age? Yes. Yep. So early on in high school, you know, starting basketball as a freshman and football, you know, the star. I'm like, man, this is easy. Life is easy. And then life gets hard, right? And Mike Tyson's quote is one of my favorites. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Love it. And that's when you really find out what you're made of. So what were one or more of those challenges that punched you in the mouth and let you know what you were really made of? Yeah, so I'd say when Coach Fleck took over the program, he came in the spring and we went through spring ball. And I remember meeting with him after spring and he looked me in the face and said, Hey, I don't think you're a good leader. Oh, wow. This is the first time in my life I have ever heard somebody say that, right? Always been the captain, you name it, right? All the things. And I was on the leadership council and he's like, just cause you wear a C on your chest doesn't make you a leader. And that was something that I had to kind of swallow my pride and decide, Hey, was I going to accept the challenge? and really look at the way I was leading? Or was I going to just discount and be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, brush it off? No, I had to really take a step back and be like, is there validity to this? Am I a good leader or not? And I think that was a very difficult thing to hear from somebody who is, you know, really, he's my leader, right? So he's telling me you're not a good leader. That was a difficult situation in a time where I was not guaranteed to be the starter. I was not guaranteed to be on the team. I was actually seeing people leave right and left. And everybody was like, hey, your head coach just told you you're not a good leader and you're the quarterback of the team. 
you probably should leave. And I think that was a very difficult time to decide, of like, am I going to stand up to this? Am I going to grow and develop and maybe learn something? Or am I going to run and try to go to where the grass is greener, so to speak? And what do you think his reason was for saying that? Do you think in hindsight now, I'm guessing you know the answer, because I think what I heard from your father was that you and Coach Fleck got very close. What do you think he was thinking that you genuinely at that point in your life weren't a great leader or was he testing you to see your resolve? What was their thought behind that? I think both. He's definitely a visionary leader. And I think he saw if we were to get to where he wanted to get us to, he needed an advocate. And he needed somebody that thought like him, that led like him. You know, not exactly the same, right? But when he was there, I kind of let him lead. And he says this beautiful quote that I love, and it's, bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, coaches lead. Elite teams, players lead. And he was looking for it to be a player-led team. And I think that's where he was challenging and saying like, hey, if they're going to get better, if we're going to go to where we want to go, we got to have a true leader. And it's got to be a player-led team. And this could be the guy, but he isn't there yet. And I think he wanted to make it clear. A little humility probably was needed. So yeah. like, hey, you're not as good as you think you are. I love it. So you would say that has been the biggest challenge that you faced to date at 30 years old was that freshman year being told that by him? I think that's one of my biggest challenges in terms of like the personal side of things. I'd say in like the business side of things, COVID. Yeah. We were deemed non-essential here in Michigan. Most people, not all states were that way. So we had to shut down our business and we had to furlough all of our employees. And I think that was a really scary time because when you're sitting at home and you're not able to work and you know your people aren't able to work and not able to make an income, it was a very scary time. And there was really no clear end in sight. I would say that was definitely as a leader and in my business and professional life, that was definitely the biggest challenge that we've had to overcome for sure. And a lot of people can relate to that. Absolutely. And especially at that point, you know, you were already having a substantial amount of succession and leadership role, I would imagine by 2020, right? Two or three years into your career there with the rate you've been growing and promoting and having the responsibility that you, I'm sure, no doubt a great leader like you does care for your team there at the different locations. And then I could imagine the difficulty that must have been. Going back to the football career, though, I could only imagine that one in 11 year as if Coach Flex comment to you wasn't enough before that season. Where were you at in your headspace after going one in 11? And kind of a follow-up question to that, if I can throw two at you, Zach, is earlier in this conversation, you said you had to learn how to fail. And so maybe a three-part question, you know, what was it like going one and 11? Where was your relationship with PJ maybe at the end of that season, that first year? And what did you mean by learning how to fail? Yeah. So to address like the first part of the question, like what is it like going one and 11? It sucks. <laughs> I remember being in a lecture hall with 250 students and we always had to sit in the front two rows with collared shirts. And the teacher is bashing how bad the football team is and how we need to get rid of it and how bad the quarterback is. And they have no idea I'm in the class, but it seemed like everybody else did. Right. And that's like a true defining moment where you're just like, man, can this get any worse? You know, they're talking about sink the boat because our mantra was row the boat. You're just kind of sitting there and you're like, is this right for me? Right. So I mean, that was a tough part. And like where our relationship was at is after that season and after the, the conversation 
you know, he was trying to out recruit me. They were bringing in a four-star quarterback that they had gotten to flip from Wisconsin, actually. And he's the highest ranked player ever to commit to a Mac school kid that lived like 25 minutes outside of Kalamazoo. And everybody's like, dude, there's no way you're going to beat this guy out. He's six foot six, looks like an NFL quarterback. I know you can't tell him this, but I am not built like that. So he was trying to recruit me. And then you go to, you know, like the third part of the question, you know, where we had to learn how to fail. Failure equals growth, but only if your mindset allows you to go to that point, right? We talked about mindset earlier, is I had to learn that like in these situations, every time we'd fail, I'd have to like build a Rolodex and be like, okay, I know how that feels. and I know what that situation looks like. And I didn't do it the right way. But next time it comes up, if I've grown, I won't make that same mistake again. And also, I know I can overcome failure because when you go one and 11, it can't get any worse, right? It can only get better. So, you know, like, hey, you've been at the lowest of lows. How can you grow from that? Like, what can you learn? What things can you take out of that? And I think that's why I, I'm comfortable in situations that frankly suck when we have COVID and everybody's furloughed and I'm the only employee here on campus working three stores and just trying to serve customers, right? Even when we're not even open, right? Just do whatever I can to help people. I know what that feels like because I've been one in 11 where it can't get any worse, right? So it helps build thick skin and it helps make you understand that like, hey, if you keep working and you talk about, you know, it's in your title, succeed anyway, find a way. 100%. So I want to jump to mindsets and negative self-talk and how you work through all that, but I've got to go back to the cliffhanger. So you're entering your sophomore year, six foot six recruit comes out of Minnesota or wherever he was coming from, you said. Yeah. And you were starting quarterback your freshman year, one and 11. Yeah. How did that play out? I think the grass isn't always greener. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to have competition. It's like that in sports. It's like that in life. It's like that in business. And I found that, you know, even in my own situation in business is it's like, people are like, you're crazy. There's no way you're going to get that promotion. It's like, they've got this person. It's like, bring it, right? That competitive drive and that spirit. I don't have a chip on my shoulder, Alan. I have a crack on my shoulder. A chip is just not big enough to describe what I carry with myself. And that's just over time. I always tell people that I was the king of the twos, right? Too small, too slow, you know, too small of a school, you name it, right? But you take that and you use it as fuel. I was able to beat him out. And frankly, I saw my leadership grow leaps and bounds. And I think that's what separated me was the intangibles and the things that I was able to show. We were able to fortunately go eight and five that season, went to a bowl game, which Western had only been in like one or two others before that. So you did start your sophomore year. Oh yeah, I started the rest of my career. So I didn't miss a game. So, and it's like that competitive spirit of being able to like, all right, never let your backup see the field kind of thing. That was not happening. There's no way I'd have to be basically getting pulled out on a stretcher to not be playing. So, yeah, I mean, that's the cliffhanger, but, you know, beat him out and the rest is history. I love it. So you went eight and five your sophomore year? Yeah, eight and five my sophomore year, eight and five my junior year, and then 13 and out. Wow. What a college career. What a story. Tell me about your mindset. I mean, I can see you've developed it's an ongoing process. I know we're continually developing our strengths and mindsets, but you've developed a very strong winning mindset. And there's so much that can be learned from you, Zach. But 
I don't know what it was like in that point in time, that freshman year, when you were one and 11, when you were told you're a bad leader by your coach and all that, did you have some self-doubt? I mean, I know there's a part of you that just like, Hey, challenge me. Let's go. Obviously that's why you had success. You've already shared that, but did you also have some self-talk, negative self-talk and voices in your head that weren't so positive at that point in your life? Yeah, definitely. Anybody who says otherwise, when somebody says something like to you is lying. There's definitely a time where you have to self-reflect and you have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, am I the man that I think I am? Yeah, I think that's what faith played a huge part in my life and being able to like propel me through that is like, hey, Zach, your identity isn't in you. You know, your identity is in Jesus Christ. So let's fix our eyes on him and let's let him lead you where you want to go. I think if I would have made my own decision, Alan, I would have left. Because I had opportunities to go to other schools, not even the Christian school I was talking about earlier. I could have gone to other Mac schools that wanted me to transfer, but God put it on my heart to stay. I met my wife really early, my first semester, freshman year. And I think that played a huge part in it. God orchestrated that. And, you know, he put people in my life that encouraged me despite the fact that we were terrible. And that played a huge part in me sticking it out and being able to believe in myself despite what we went through. I love it. And your relationship with Coach Fleck, how did that develop over the four years? It grew dramatically. Early in the career, I'd say he was a coach. You know, midway through my career, he seemed kind of like a coach friend. And then towards the end, you know, he truly was a friend, a mentor, and we both pushed each other. He would allow me to challenge him and he would challenge me on a daily basis. And I think that's what made us special is people were able to see that, hey, we're all in this together. Like it's not a top down kind of thing. Like we're being player led, but we've got a coach that has our back and that, you know, we have a relationship with, which was really fun. And now, you know, we still have a great relationship. He's one of my most important mentors and one of the first people I call when I need help. And a lot of these principles are built off of what he's established and, you know, the mentalities and the the core values and things like that are things that I've adopted from what he preaches on a daily basis. I love it. I'm not going to ask you if you're glad you went through those difficult times and challenges, but I will ask you just how you view them now, just your past challenges and even the future ones you don't even know about yet. Just how, in general, how do you view challenges in your life? I, I love them. <laughs> I don't look at things as challenges. I look at them as opportunities just because of what I've seen in my past, right? Yeah. Row the boat is a mantra, right? You're looking at your past, but you're in the present and you got your back towards your future, right? You have to live in the present by learning from your past. I've learned from my past mistakes and failures. And I know that, hey, there are going to be failures that are coming up, but I know how to overcome. I know how to succeed anyway. And I think getting comfortable with failure, like I talked about, and learning how to learn from failure has helped me get to the point where I'm not scared of it. And you see a lot of people, and I'm sure you do, in business and and in life that are scared of failure. And it's like, hey, that's the only way you get better. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Like, let's make mistakes. Let's fail fast. And let's grow from them. The worst thing you can do is not make a decision because you're scared of failure. You're going to fail anyway. 100%. And that's where like when you talk about challenges in the future, I welcome challenges because those are opportunities. I love it, Zach. What a great mindset and something that just should encourage all of our listeners. When we talk about that, I love taking people back to childhood and just having them imagine what would your life be like 
if you were afraid to take that first step as a one-year-old or whatever age it was and fall, you wouldn't be walking today. You know, what if you were afraid to mispronounce dada or mama, <laughs> you wouldn't be talking yep. today. Or what if you were afraid about that first bite of solid food or blended food or whatever, going down your chin and ended up on your chest. We wouldn't be eating solid food today. Like everything is hard until it gets easy. We've got to fail to get better at things. And that's just the way it is. So I, I love that you shared that. What is one piece of advice you would love to go back and give your younger self if you could? I think like we've talked about is like get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like don't be scared to make mistakes. Like I said, I talked about how I thought things were pretty easy, but I do think that there were things that I could have done differently and gone bigger, you know, and done things maybe outside of my comfort zone more than I did because no one likes to be uncomfortable, right? right? We just don't. That's not a part of our nature. But I've found that I am way better when I'm uncomfortable. Like I exceed my own expectations when I put myself outside of my comfort zone. So I would definitely tell myself that if I could go back in town, like go bigger, right? Go bigger. Be more aggressive. Yeah, I love it. What advice would you give to other people in the midst of their challenge? They just figuratively speaking at one and 11, they just got the news. They're diagnosed with something. I don't know, whatever their challenge is physically, financially, relationally, athletics wise, they're in the midst of their storm. What advice would you give to them right now? I think it's important to recognize and know who you are first and foremost, right? There are challenges there to come up, but at the end of the day, you have to fall back on something. Yeah, And for some people, that's faith. For some people, that's people, whatever that is for others. But I think knowing who you are and knowing what you stand for and what you believe in is important because those challenges are going to come, but you have to fall back on like, what's my identity? Who am I? Now, what do I do? Who am I? And I think like, you know, I talk about some of my challenges. That's what got me through. Them. So knowing who you are and what you stand for I think is huge in getting through the challenges that you face on a regular basis. It's vital. I think that's so good that you brought that up as falling back on who you are and what's your identity, which, you know, it helps. I, I talk a lot about making sure you know who you want to become and then the actions that we should be taking will kind of answer themselves. They, they will become more clear. And that all comes back to really identity, who we're becoming and who we really are. Do you have a favorite success quote you'd be willing to share with our listeners by chance? I think something that like I try to live by is because I think success is like people wanting to make a difference, right? Success to me is making a difference. And in order to make a difference, you have to be different. To be an influencer, you have to have a following, right? But people aren't going to follow somebody that's just exactly the same like everybody else. Think of anybody that's made an impact. Jesus, right? Couldn't have been any more different than anybody else. Martin Luther King, you know, we could go on and on and on, right? They were different. They stood for something. They brought an emotion out of people. So I think in order to make a difference, you have to be different. And that's one that I try to live my life by as, you know, a success quote for me. Boy, I love that. In order to make a difference, you have to be different. What would you say your definition of success is? So I stole my definition of success from John Wooden one of the most successful college basketball coaches in history. And he defines success like this, and it's my favorite. It's the peace of mind you get knowing you did everything you could to be the best you could be. That's success. I love it. I love that. I haven't found a better definition. I can't come up with a better one myself, but just that peace of mind knowing I did 
everything I could to be the best I could be. You know, the best husband, the best coworker, the best leader, whatever it is, whatever you do, that peace of mind when you put your head on the pillow knowing you did everything you could is all anybody could ever want. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more. And really, it's summarizing very succinctly what I've said in a lot more words when yeah. I try to define my definition of success, because I go to Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. And I believe my definition of success is the exact same thing as what you just said and what John said. It's maximizing my gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given me and put before me. And that is it. So I love that so much. What is one habit, a practical habit that obviously you've got mindsets and we've talked a lot about that and perspective that have been critical in your success to this point and will continue to be, but what is one habit that has really helped you in your success, Zach? I think consistency. I'm a very consistent person. I think part of that comes from being an athlete because we're very regimented, but what you see is what you get. Like I said, you know, words mean things. I'm consistent in what I say in my messaging. You know what you're going to get when you see me, a consistency. And I think that's in leadership. I truly believe that is one of the biggest missing pieces. There's not many books on consistency. Yeah. Nobody wants an inconsistent leader. You don't want an inconsistent friend. You don't want an inconsistent wife. You want somebody that you can count on. And I think that's one of the things that I made a habit on is with what I say and how I act and how I influence others, I'm consistent. It's critically important. And you're right. There's not a ton of books on that, but it's one of the most important. Maybe that's your next book. Hey, you never know. A very, very, very good friend of mine just got done putting out a book called The Consistency Pill. And uh, it, it's all about consistency, but you never know. Maybe, you know, there's like plenty of room for more. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received, Zach? And who gave it to you, if you don't mind sharing? Okay, yeah. So one of my favorite things that I've heard, and he's said it since I've known him, is our president, Aaron Ziegler, always says, people don't think big enough and they aren't aggressive enough about going after what they want. And I couldn't agree more with that. And you've seen that in our trajectory as an auto group. He took over in 2009. We had a handful of dealerships. We have 39 now. Wow. And I, I think it's true. I definitely do my best to relate that in my own personal life is, you know, to think bigger and be aggressive about what you want. And if you believe in yourself and you put in the work, you'll achieve it. And sometimes you'll fail, but that's okay. You learn from it. Absolutely. Is there a book that you might recommend for the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience that you think would be of value to everyone? You know, I don't necessarily have one book in particular. One of my favorite books on leadership that's old and that most people hopefully have read in school or whatever is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think that's one of the best books ever written for business. We look over it now because it's, I mean, I think it was written, who knows? Who, who it's knows? It's been how a while. Ago. It's definitely been a while. What it talks about is so important and so true. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah. I read a ton of books and still looking back, that's one of my favorites that I try to live by a lot of those principles that they talk about in there. I love it. And you know what? It's one of my favorite books. And I think the title almost could be a little deceptive. You know, I could almost see someone going influencing people, maybe potentially thinking it's a negative thing, but I'm like, that is the greatest book. I wish it was called a how to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> and positively influence people. But it is such a good book. So many good things. I mean, the value of a smile. I mean, some of the simplest things that we yep. just overlook 
just so valuable, so valuable. So I'm glad you recommended that. I'm sure there's plenty of people as popular as the book is that have never read it. And I want to second that everybody should read that book. And again, and again. Yeah, it's a good refresher too. It is. It is. I like to go back and read it periodically. It's that good. Hey, Zach, when you think about the future, what currently is exciting you the most or something that's exciting you currently? Our market is consistently changing and I'm mostly in the retail space, obviously, with what I do and they keep moving the cheese, right? And that consistent challenge and opportunity is what excites me, you know, is that you never know what's going to change in the market and what's going to happen. And a lot of people fear that uncertainty, but that excites me. Because those who are looking for it and those are being curious and trying to find what's next will be the cream that rises to the top. So that's what I look forward to is, you know, being curious and finding what's next, what's next in our market, what's going to happen and how can we be at the cutting edge in what we do? I love it. I love it. It's an exciting way to live instead of wanting everything to just stay status quo and nothing to change and quote secure. It's going to change, right? <laughs> it's going to change. So embrace yeah. it, look forward to it and figure out how to serve others best in the middle of the change and create value. And that creates opportunity. I love it. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you and follow along on your continued journey, Zach? Yeah. So like Facebook and LinkedIn, it's Zach Terrell. So Z-A-C-H and then Terrell and Instagram and Twitter. It's Zach underscore Terrell 11. And a funny story about 11, I'll give you a little nugget here. So All right. just to prove to you as if this interview didn't tell you enough that I never have lacked confidence a whole lot. I got put in the all-stars for T-ball and my parents asked me what number I picked because that was the first time you got to pick your number, right? Okay. I picked number 11 and they said, well, why did you pick number 11? I said, well, I'm the only person on the field who's number one twice. <laughs> Did you keep number 11? Oh, I, yep. I was 11 in college. Yep. Oh, yeah. All the way. All the way. I love it. I love it. Jack, this has been awesome. I'll give you the last word. Any closing comment you might want to share with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners? Yeah, I just think life can throw you some hard things, but it's all perspective, right? And success is the peace of mind and getting knowing you did everything you could to be the best you could be. And if we do that... The rest will take care of itself. So I wish everybody that listens to this nothing but the best. And uh, I appreciate you having me on, Alan. It's an elite topic. And it's something that I love to talk about is overcoming hard stuff and succeeding. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being on and sharing a ton of golden nuggets with our listeners. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week's episode. I hope you got something out of this one that will help you level up your capabilities, your mindset, and your life. If you did, can I ask you to share it with others? Here's how. Either leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify, hit us with a five-star rating if you feel it's deserving, or share it on your social media, and please tag me. My social media links are in the show notes below this episode. That's the best way to get this work into the hands of others who can also benefit from what we're doing here. Until next time, friends, use your adversity to create your opportunity. Life's hard. Succeed anyway.